0: welcome you're listening to activist nyc the podcast on family fm recording inside canal street radio i am your host cindy Trin. activist nyc is an ongoing documentary photo project about activism and social justice movements in new york city this podcast is an extension of my activist nyc project and will include interviews with activists organizers and political leaders in our city my goal is to learn about what motivates activists to do the hard work they dedicate their lives to and discuss the important issues surrounding the people of New York. Stay with us. No justice. No peace. No justice. Today's guest is Amanda Frankel, a Democrat running for Congress in the District of New York 10. She is neither a career politician nor a millionaire. Unlike many Democrats in New York City, she does not take corporate PAC money. She grew up in a working-class home and faced many of the same economic challenges that so many working-class Americans experience. After making it through college on a need-based scholarship and earning her degree in economics from the University of North Carolina, she worked on Wall Street for a period of time. She left in protest of corporate greed and found work in emerging tech, where she has been able to mentor companies with altruistic missions, support diversity, and uplift other women. Her platform aims to advance progressive legislation supported by the majority of the people, not corporations, and to put an end to government corruption. Thank you, Amanda, for being here. Welcome.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
0: Um, so you're running for Congress, so that means You know you gotta tell people about yourself who are you where are you from well what you know what what brought you here and um what's your background so uh can you tell us just a little bit about yourself yeah sure so i'm
1: originally from up north i was actually born in ridgewood new jersey but i spent most of my childhood down in north carolina so my parents split when i was pretty young and i was along with my three brothers primarily raised by my mom so For me, economic uncertainty was something I was super aware of from a really young age. So my mom had left the workforce to take care of my three brothers and myself. So, you know, being a single mom reentering the workforce with four kids in tow is tough. And... I started babysitting when I could when I was 12. When I was 16 years old, I got a job as a seating hostess at a restaurant, although I didn't have a license at the time. So I was basically bumming rides off of really kind coworkers in order to get to work and save up money. And I went to UNC Chapel Hill. Um, I was something called a Carolina Covenant scholar. So I was lucky enough to receive financial aid. Didn't fully cover everything. I'm still paying off some student loans, uh, which is crazy that an idea of a full scholarship, even today, isn't actually a full scholarship because I had to buy, you know, groceries you know crazy things like that yeah you had to Um, live yeah so (laughs) you know growing up in a family with that kind of economic uncertainty you know my mom had to declare bankruptcy at one point you do what you do when you grow up in a family where money's uncertain which is you try to make sure that's not a future you're building for yourself and your family so I studied economics, also literature, giant Lord of the Rings nerd, <laughs> and went to Wall Street. And I very quickly realized that although there were a bunch of people that I met there that were very nice, kind people who care about making the world better, the culture was still fairly dominated by greed. And, you know, when I asked myself, do I make, do I feel like I'm making people's lives better or worse? I couldn't answer that. I felt like I was making people's lives better. I felt like I was making rich people richer. So like you mentioned, I had left, I went into tech, and I was so excited about, you know, using new technologies to make people's lives better. And even there, you realize that altruistic missions on the surface aren't necessarily altruistic missions. So at the same time as working in tech up here in New York, I was getting more involved in my community. Um, I'm super excited about a lot of financial literacy initiatives and women's initiatives. Um, I think we were both at the protest earlier this week. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Don't um, worry.
0: We're getting into that.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I realized that the volunteer work I was doing on my own and a lot of the, you know, altruistic missions professionally, it just didn't feel like I was doing enough because we're at a point in our society where, you know, political hate is at an all-time high and we're facing potential climate catastrophe. You know, the whole dystopian sci-fi future where we're literally living in a burning wasteland that's reality and that's our future and so i couldn't not spend every second of my life trying to make people's lives better and that led me to decide to run for office and the reason i decided to run for congress in particular is because we've had the same representative in our district for 26 years who, who,
0: who is that representative it's representative
1: jerry nadler he's been in office since 1993 so longer than 1993,
0: i've been alive longer geez. than i've been alive
1: um and so he's an established Democrat. He, he is very established. And, you know, I'm a big believer that any primary is a good primary because it gives people an opportunity to assess new candidates as well as decide, you know, if they want to support the incumbent, then they have the opportunity to make their voices heard.
0: I mean, but shout out, right, to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who challenge an established Democrat, Crowley, right, I mean, that was a huge upset, and just seeing, like, the new faces coming into the political world and all the women, right, that um, won seats in Congress, the past election, I mean, that's really inspiring, and it definitely, it definitely is necessary, I think, to... Challenge these the establishment like they get so comfortable. I mean, since 1993, like that's uh, he must be so comfortable in that nice little cushy seat, you know. And and why not have some challengers come in and and and, you know mix it up a bit, right? (laughs) Um, But how like why why did you why did you decide private sector to public sector? I mean, public sector is not. It's, it's not easy. It's it's definitely uh, a hard, you know. It's it's definitely hard to work in the public sector, and I don't. I, I, I doubt that you know anyone would call their job in Congress easy. So, um, you know, what what drives you to want to run for Congress?
1: So there's a few key things for me. You know, the first is that I live in an amazing, diverse creatively drawn if I'm being honest district and you know I think it's important to assess that everyone's being heard because I felt like I wasn't being heard Um, but honestly you know when when I think about why it's time to run you know there's tons of policies which we'll get into about fighting for an equal and fair existence and fighting for an existence that is accountable to the people and not corporations but the biggest thing right now is we are actually fighting for our right to exist hard stop if the permafrost in the arctic melts and that methane is released we are all completely screwed like that is bonkers and so when i think about what drives me to run you know i'm invested in what our planet looks like 20 years from now 30 years from now hopefully 60 years from now if science is good and it keeps me around for that long (laughs) and I want to live in a world that I'm proud to leave for future generations. And frankly, I'm living in a world now where having kids is something I'm afraid to do because I don't know the world we're living for them. And tons of people are making those choices. People with small kids are concerned and people who are thinking about having kids and are at a similar life stage as me are having these concerns. And so if these fears are so universal, I can't, not fight with every fiber of my being to make the world better because you know fear can either drive people into complacency and you kind of paralyze right and I was I was paralyzed for a while a lot of people get paralyzed and I realized that you know even if I fight and I lose at least I fought
0: so you know you talked a lot about like the future of our society of this planet Um, And I want to go through your very extensive platform. So you would say climate justice is probably up there on your platform, correct? Yes, it is.
1: Um, So we view the platform in sort of three core components. Mm -hmm. So the first, um, as you mentioned, is climate, because if we don't exist, it doesn't matter if we're fighting for a right to an equal existence. The second is this idea of an open and honest government. So, you know, crazy radical ideas like our Congress people shouldn't be allowed to own stock in a company and vote on legislation that affects it. Crazy things like corporations shouldn't be able to buy elections. You know, we're running a, comp- a completely people-funded campaign. We're taking no corporate money, particularly, I mean, we're taking none hard stop, but we're singling out that we're not taking, you know, big oil or big real estate money, which is a big impact here in New York. And, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy that it's 2019 and we're talking about things like getting corporate money out of politics instead of our 21st century problems, you know, like that should be a nonpartisan issue that the government should work for the people. So for me, it's just kind of crazy that that's a problem we have to fix, but that makes it even more important to fix because corporate money in politics is really uh, the disease and a lot of other issues or symptoms. Um, shout, out, shout out to my buddy, Rob, who... I think i just stole that sentence from but it's, it's such <laughs> a it's such an eloquent description of what's going on
0: i love it i it's it's the perfect description for what's happening right now because our democracy is no longer a real democracy it's been so corrupted by money um and you know corporate interests that none of our political leaders are fighting for us anymore and i think that's that's the uh, sentiment across the country. Like, people don't feel that their political leaders are actually representing them. And they get so distraught by that that no one even cares anymore about the political process. No one wants to vote. No one, why do you think voter turnout is so tough? Oh, we'll get into that. Oh, yeah. um,
1: I just quickly want to wrap up the third yeah, platform yeah, yeah. since Go we ahead. were talking about the three. So, the third, um, you know, once we have the right to exist. And once we've gotten corporate money out of politics, then we can work on creating what we're calling a safe and successful America for all. Again, something that's been deemed a completely radical idea, but you know, the idea that people should be able to afford housing and have quality public education and should be able to go to the hospital when they're sick because the government is providing insurance for them. Things that, again, have been deemed crazy progressive ideas, but in reality, we want to treat human beings like human beings. you know. Every time we would go through anything we'd add to our platform, we'd ask ourselves, does this policy make people's lives better or worse? Because the goal at the end of the day is for human beings to be able to live with dignity and live safely and have a fulfilled life. And the role of the government is to protect those rights of the people, and it's not doing it right now. So if there's one thing that I would want people to take away from this, it's that you should ask yourself every single day, is what I'm doing making people's lives better or worse? Is it making the world better or worse? I think if we all asked ourselves that question, the world would be a much better place.
0: Yeah, I, I wish there was more focus on human dignity. But with Donald Trump as our president, I don't see it. <laughs> I mean, where is the dignity? Where has it gone? And you're absolutely right. I mean, it's just... It, it doesn't feel like a government that's working for us. It feels like a government working for corporations and big money. And and I know, like, I, whenever I look at what's happening in our pol- political world right now, I just get so, so frustrated. And, you know, I think a lot of people are feeling that same way. And what we were just briefly talking about, which we can get back to now, is... How are we going to get people motivated to vote? Because I know, like, okay, I I myself, I will vote no matter what because I want to be a part of the process and I want to try to take our democracy back, as cliche as that might sound. And I don't know. I mean, like, I know I'll vote, but what about regular people who just need to work and feed their families and they're just looking at what's happening in politics right now and they're seeing like this is a circus like you know nothing is happening like nothing is helping me why do i even care to vote how are we going to get those people to to engage well the first thing is that we create
1: voter systems that help people turn out so new york has quite a few of these sitting with the state legislature right now um, I believe actually the, the New York Democratic Party today or yesterday passed, um, just through the party, it still has to go through the legislature, a resolution to change the way you can register as a Democrat to vote in the Democratic primary because New York State had one of the most punitive primary registrations. But I mean, look, it's it's hard to get out to vote. There's not automatic voter registration. You know, before you can get people excited, first they have to be registered. So automatic voter registration is hugely important. The fact that um, while I'm focused on New York, across the country, you know, voter systems are controlled state by state, and there's huge imbalances from state to state for who can vote and when and how they're registered and how they're ID'd. And frankly, like, it's a punitive system. It makes people not want to get engaged. Even though New York now has better rules for primaries, the presidential primary is not the same day as the congressional primary. Why wouldn't there be one day? And so, you know, the more you break out these elections into different days, not everybody can afford to take that much time off work, especially hourly employees, because they're literally giving up hours of work to buy groceries for their family to go vote. Like, that is a poll tax. Like, I'm going to give you that hot take right now. Like, I think that the fact that there's not paid time off to go vote That is a poll tax. Oh, I think election
0: days should be national holidays. But the thing
1: is, national holidays, not all hourly workers are even compensated for. I think that employers should be required to pay their workers Mm. to go vote. To go vote. Especially because Mm. people say, oh, well, it's punitive to employers. You know, voting should take two to three hours if the polling site is run properly. And that makes a huge difference in people's lives and it disenfranchises people who aren't making as much money to go out and vote. And the thing is, they're the people who need the system to work for them the most.
0: Yeah. It's completely backwards. Well, it's backwards because the system is built to keep those people, you know, at bay so that their voices aren't counted because, you know, Republicans know that if those votes were counted, they would have a hard time electing officials into seats right into congress and senate um so they they, you know look at all the voter id laws that that were passed by republicans that is specifically designed to keep people from voting it's it's to deter them from voting because they know that if those communities do vote they'd be gone so fast right so that that does show the power of voting and how how much you know if republicans are willing to go through all this to pass these voter id laws like that that means that voting is that powerful right yeah and I, I
1: think it's important to think of two layers like that's the first layer of systems that keep people from voting and that's the biggest problem and then what you get to is well why should people go vote and i think that people go vote when there's a candidate they're excited about you know when in there's been, I think, only one real competitive primary in the past two decades in my district. And now there's multiple progressive challengers coming into the ring. And so. Oh, so who are the other challengers? Um, so right now, I believe that Lindsay Boylan is also a challenger and okay. Holly Lynch. OK. Um, but, you know, people need a reason to get out and go vote and look like i'm gonna be honest with you like maybe i'm not like some refined politician i'm a person who got angry enough that they decided to get involved in order to run for office i'm still working full-time and campaigning full-time and i've started drinking coffee again (laughs) and i'm way over caffeinated and underslept but it's because the systems don't have regular people getting involved so i think that when regular people put their lives on hold to try to make other people's lives better you know i'm hoping that that inspires people to get out and take action because somebody who's dealing with their problems is running. You know, I was stuck on that F train for hours. Luckily in a car that wasn't a hundred degrees, but you know, i get stuck on the subway all the time. And like every New
0: Yorker and my
1: crap, my my crappy apartment has no dishwasher and no air conditioning, which I realized during the heat wave earlier (laughs) this week. And my dog's only eight pounds and the mice in my apartment could probably do battle with my dog, um, which is like mildly terrifying that she's afraid of mice. But you know, People need to understand the problems that we face every day in order to be able to take action about how those problems affect us. And, you know, I mean, I'm also terrified of mice. So maybe that's like a weirdly (laughs) specific example, (laughs) getting into my deep seated fears of tiny creatures. (laughs) But people need to feel like there's someone out there who actually gets the problems that they're dealing with. And And you do. I hope I do. (laughs) I mean,
0: I, I I think I think um, what I look for in someone, and I think what a lot of people are looking for in someone right now, are those who can relate. Like when I look at at all the different like presidential candidates right now that are running, like who do I r- really relate to? Who can be who can be someone that. I feel would understand my plight, like my experiences, right? And and I think that's what really works for uh, bringing back uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez again. You know, she talks a lot about how um, when she waitressed and bartended, like those skills that she learned um, dealing with people, like that conditioned her, trained her to be the congresswoman that she is today and i think uh you know what i like her so much is because i feel like i like she's relatable like i feel like a lot we could sit down and chat and talk about all the similarities that we had growing up you know the different challenges we faced and being women being women of color especially and You know, these are like the the similarities that I want in a candidate. Like I feel like I, I need that in somebody now because I'm tired of these, rich, people. Like you know, like they don't. uh, Not to say that all rich people are bad, but rich. I just don't understand rich people. I just don't relate to them because I've never been rich. I've always grown up. Working class I've all like my parents came here as refugees from the Vietnam War and You know we I had a very very immigrant lifestyle but an immigrant background growing up and that meant working a lot like since I was 15 years old like I've always just been working and so I don't know like how if you know I don't understand like the 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 experiences of those who are in the one percent and that's why i want people coming into office that could actually understand what i'm going through and i think that makes a huge difference so you know i i I like that your background is also working class because that makes me feel like okay you know what it, it what it means to work so damn hard that like your legs are going to fall off and you know what it means to um, worry like if you could put food on the table that day and you know you know what those things mean and 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 that makes me feel like I can relate to to someone like you so I think it is really important Um, and we were talking earlier right about about mixing things up like getting these established politicians out of office because honestly I think there should be term limits thank you that's (laughs) actually part of uh, yeah part
1: of my platform um is the idea we're, we're trying to figure out the exact year limit but that people shouldn't be allowed to serve in a congressional seat for the same district for more than 12 years you know for for senate that's two terms as a senator for 12 years at six years each for two year house terms that's six terms That's plenty of time. Yeah. And it still allows people to run for seats in different districts that they move or if they've lived in the House or the they've worked in the House, they can uh, run for Senate. And I mean, even that significantly limits quite a few people who have been in our political system now, which is crazy that like, hey, a total of 24 years is, you know, the limit and people are far past that. I, I think my biggest issue with not having congressional term limits is that people kind of become oligarchs. And the thing is, it's not necessarily all bad. There are plenty of longstanding Congress people who have a good progressive history. And actually, Representative Nadler has a strong history with a good progressive agenda. But my issue is that if we make exceptions for the people we like, then we get into dangerous territory for the people we don't. The perfect example is, look at what's happened with our presidency. You know, when Obama was issuing his executive order for the Affordable Care Act, we were all so excited. I mean, I'm still on my parents' health insurance while I'm running for Congress. So, I mean, I was very excited. I can't afford my own health care. So, you know, we were very excited about that, but that was definitely an overreach of executive power. And then we have someone like Trump come in who has a precedent, you know, there's been a precedent set of overreach of executive power. And he just takes that, I mean, way more than one step further, let's be clear. But we have to make sure that we're creating systems that create a healthy democracy. And if we can't follow the rules, you know, as representatives or potential representatives, like we have no right to be there. And so, you know, in some cases, like congressional term limits, the rules need to be better. But the problem is it has to go through Congress and how many Congress people are gonna vote themselves out of a job. You know, if Congress people won't vote on congressional term limits, well, I promise I will term limit myself the hell out of office. I will bring forth a bill for congressional term limits because at the end of the day, if I don't believe that that system is working for us, I'm not going to go in and follow the system as it exists. And I think that's the issue is when you're on the outside, it's very different than once you're working there. And again, it's really easy to make exceptions for people we think are good, but Mm -hmm. the
0: rules have to be the rules. Right. And I think you make a really good point in that like, um, you know, we, we, we need these rules set so that neither party, either Democrat or Republican or anybody, right, abuses those rules. And I think um, whenever our party or someone that we like is in office, we tend to want them to have more power. Um, you know, we wanted Obama to overreach and pass those executive orders. But then, now that Trump is in office, we're feeling that back, the backlash of that. We're feeling like the consequences of allowing Obama to have a little too much power, because now Trump is in office and now Trump has too much power, right? So I think that is a really good point, and it's something to really keep in mind when we are thinking about candidates and and when we are going to the voting polls. Um, but I I, I want to like dive into more of your platform because it is quite extensive and there's a there's so much that we could talk about obviously um but you know we we mentioned earlier that uh we both just went to uh, the rally uh stop the abortion bans um just the other day and right now we're seeing extreme abortion bans uh, happening in all sorts of different states across the country most recently alabama um and being a woman and talking about, again, women running for Congress and for office, you know, what, what challenges do you feel are going to be, are you going to face the most? Like, they're going to tell you that you're inexperienced. They're going to tell you that you're a woman. So, you know, your period is going to affect your ability to make decisions. So. <laughs> Which is so ridiculous. So but. I think
1: the biggest challenge for me is not just running as a woman. So I'm 25. Um, I filed with the FEC to run just after I was legally eligible. And in the months since I've declared, I've been called little girl oh. more times than I can count. Really? Which is super condescending. And really, like, That's I'm so sorry, you are not my father. I'm not seven years old and I'm not getting sent to timeout. So <laughs> you better back off. Um, You're an adult. Why would they call you little girl? <laughs> I, I think that there's this idea that, you know, all these empowered young women, especially women of color running for office are just out here throwing temper tantrums.
0: Right. And let's
1: be clear. We're not throwing temper tantrums. We're setting the damn house on fire. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that people need to realize, you know, especially with the way our political movement is moving more progressive is that, you know, the millennial voters are the ones that need to be engaged and they are the ones who have the ability to sway. But, it's not even just millennial voters. There's progressive people of all backgrounds and all ages who are excited about new voices being heard, you know, regardless of age, gender, sexual orientation, background, although I'm a big proponent of encouraging diversity because our Congress today does not represent our population no, as a whole.
0: Not at all. I mean, they're all men, mostly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but um, getting back to your original question of, of being a woman who's running, mm. I mean, look, being a young woman running against the machine, frankly, like, it's
0: a little scary. <laughs> like David and more, more than yeah. a little
1: scary. Yeah. Um, when I decided I was going to run, I kind of, I'm not going to lie, I had a moment where I kind of felt really nauseous. Um, <laughs> I thought I was going to vomit right after our seg went live. I was just like at this moment of like, oh, it's real now. What have I done? But I think that's good. I think it means I've resi- re- retained some sort of like
0: grip on my sanity. Like the fear is healthy. FYI, Um, full disclosure, I did the photography for Amanda for her site. Um, You should go check it out. Uh. (laughs) No, it was actually
1: fantastic. Uh, Yeah, my uh, deputy campaign manager, Ronnie, who is just... Shout uh, out to Ronnie. Honestly, Ronnie Rose. I'm going to first and last name her. She is... She's an unbelievable force of nature. Like, you want to talk about strong young woman? I know I'm supposed to talk about myself because I'm the candidate, but I want to talk about Ronnie Rose because this girl is a full-time student. She works full time and gives me every spare second of her life for this campaign because she cares That's about incredible. making the world better with every fiber of her being. Yeah. She is one of the smartest, hardest workers I've ever known. Like one of the best friends I've ever known. Our dogs play together. It's fantastic. <laughs> her dog's <laughs> name is bean. My dog's Dobby. Cause I'm a freak who names my dog after Harry Potter characters. <laughs> but just, you want to talk about powerful woman, you know, the idea of being a candidate is powerful and having female candidates are powerful, but we have to remember that there are so many strong women from so many different backgrounds working behind the scenes to make things happen. And this campaign would not be this campaign without her. And I think it's important to recognize that.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Like, I, and I love women supporting other women. I, I, I mean, I, I do you know, I in my work and anything that I do, I always try to elevate women, give them a platform because we need it. We need more representation. We don't we, we need more voices like ours. And just seeing like all these abortion bans happening, like it feels like a personal attack. Like to be clear, it is a personal yeah. attack. There
1: is <laughs> People who say they're pro-life but then won't fund our foster care system, won't fund medical care for these women they're telling to stay pregnant, uh, won't fund better education. Let me tell you, they're not pro-life. They're pro-fetus.
0: Yeah. No, they're they're pro-control. Exactly. They want to control. So they want to control women's bodies. But when it comes to guns, oh, no, you know, whatever, free If they were really (laughs)
1: pro-life, they would be making sure that people aren't walking into schools with alarming regularity and killing children.
0: Yeah, our children are dying in our public schools right now. But you
1: want to get all up in my
0: uterus. Yeah, but you want to regulate my body? Like, really? Like, what about the children that are alive right now? What about them? They don't, they don't. There are millions of children currently in our foster care system, which is
1: ridiculously underfunded and people don't want to pay more taxes to support them. You know, I mean, look, like I think we saw it in New York, which is honestly one of the amazing things about New York is that they actually back in January, they past reproductive protections at a state level so even if roe v wade is overturned women in new york still have access oh that's great but the thing we have to think about again is you have to think about the layers of this issue so when i think about abortion rights in particular and just reproductive health care in general there's a few things we have to remember which is one that reproductive health care or lack of reproductive health care predominantly affects um, either poor women or women of color And that a lot of the time this movement leaves out people who can get pregnant who don't necessarily identify as women, transgender men, people who are non-binary. And I I think this is hitting close to home to me because earlier this week, um, there was this incredible person, Miles, and he had this sign that said, um, oh, God, I can't remember exactly what it said. But it said, you know, not only women can get pregnant. Remember other groups. And and that just really stuck with me because I think that we get caught up in these movements and we get powerful and we can't. We can't leave people behind.
0: Right. I, I remember seeing at, at the rally just the other day, I, I did see someone with a sign that said a similar thing, like uh, abortion rights is not just a cis issue, right? It's oh, yeah.
1: No, I, I want to read the sign. I just okay, pulled it yeah. up on my phone. So it says, not only women get pregnant, keep trans and non-binary folks in the conversation. Yeah. And that, I mean, for me personally, just reminded me of of a blind spot that I had mm-hmm. um, in that conversation. And so when we think about who these laws are really, really affecting, it's affecting trans people and non-binary people. Mm -hmm. It's protecting, again, like people who are poor, predominantly women of color. And one of the things they spoke about at the rally was actually creating a quarter of a million dollar abortion fund. Because even if we have access to abortion, you know, a lot of people, depending on the state that they're in, can't use their Medicaid to pay for abortion care. And so basically... It's kind of like saying, oh, you can have access to it, but only if you're like a wealthy white woman. Sorry. Right. And that's like that's unacceptable. Yeah. Um, and so the abortion fund hasn't passed in New York yet. But the idea that there will be financial assistance. So it's not just you can seek it, but you can afford it. You know, that financial barrier is still a really significant obstacle we have to tackle.
0: And just the entire healthcare system in general, like it just all is connected, right? Like maybe if we have better healthcare, um, you know, and more education and, and just these, all these things that obviously affect low income communities the most where, uh, you know, they don't usually have access to good healthcare
1: I actually, um, if we can talk about health care for a yeah, second. So yeah. a lot of people um, are talking about Medicare for all. And so I think it's important. I believe it's Alexandria who said not mm. just Medicare for all, a better Medicare for all. Mm. Because I mentioned, you know, my grandmother upstate who I went to visit and we're actually having an issue now with her, which is that um, she broke her pelvis and Medicare deemed her hospital stay as unnecessary for a broken pelvis for a 78 year old woman, which means that not only is the hospital stay not covered, but she had to do four to six weeks of inpatient rehab to regain mobility. And that's not covered right now. (sighs) And my grandparents are on the hook for that bill. And so that's been like a personal struggle for my family. And so it's not just give everyone Medicare, it's create a better Medicare.
0: Yeah, definitely. because there's
1: still failings in that system too. And so while, you know, coverage from a system that's imperfect is better than no coverage. We have to make sure that people aren't just, part of a, a single-payer imperfect system they have to be part of a system that really does work for them once they're in it
0: i just don't understand how healthcare isn't a non-part isn't like a you know like a partisan issue like whatever like it like how the hell like wh- i don't understand like people are voting against having healthcare. i, I don't get it I like think what's I going on people
1: honestly i, I think it's depends on which way you want it depends on which way you, wa- you want to look at it right there's people who say, you know, I don't want my tax dollars funding it, but there's a lot of mm. studies out there showing it's actually a net tax savings to have Medicare for all because then right. people aren't picking up emergency room bills from county hospitals that people aren't paying because they don't have insurance. So that argument falls short. Yeah. So then it becomes of, do people believe that they're responsible for taking care of their fellow human beings? Yeah. And that's a tough question for people to ask themselves. And I think that the answer sometimes is no, which is... I mean, f- which for me kind of, like, shakes me to my core, but...
0: But you know why? It's because we live in a capitalist society. And in our capitalist society, especially in America, it, it's always been, like, every man for himself, right? Or every woman for herself, or every person for themself. It's, it's, it, there's a very different mentality when you go out to um, the eastern part of the world, right? Like, like for example, many... Asian countries, and this is very much true in my own family, Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people, they work towards the better good of everyone. And then looking at like a lot of the socialist policies of Scandinavian countries, it's the same. They all think about the good of the entire country, everybody living in it. Whereas I feel like the mentality here in America is very much like, um, you know, I'm responsible for myself. I can't be responsible for anybody else, and so it 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 fuels this mentality that, oh, I don't want to pay taxes for somebody else to go to the hospital. Like, why should I pay for that? Well, I mean, from with that same line of reasoning, it's like, why am I paying taxes so that our our co- our president can send like drones and Air missile strikes and troops out to these countries and start wars that I don't agree with. You know, it's well, so
1: <laughs> I actually want to talk about the capitalism thing for a second yeah. because. I think that there can be a healthy regulated form of capitalism here in the U S that works for people. Because when we think of our current society, for me, at least Mm -hmm. I don't think of it as capitalism. It's monopolies and oligopolies. And those two things are completely counter to, I mean, like I studied economics. Yeah. Yeah. Those two things are completely counter to capitalism. Mm -hmm. So the oligopolies of big pharma charging $2,000 for prep when it's eight, when it's, when it's $8 in Australia, that is not capitalism that's an all ol- that's an oligopoly mm, I see. and and so for me it's how can we create a healthy economy where people can still innovate and be entrepreneurs that doesn't hurt other people
0: right right that makes and, sense
1: and i think that we can have a society with 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 healthy well-supervised capitalism
0: yeah i'm not against i'm uh, you know i i have my harsh criticisms of Capitalism, but I'm not. I I participate very much in capitalism. Okay, (laughs) like I I buy goods and you know. I I just think we have to have a balance in our society
1: where you know, like as someone who's come from tech, like entrepreneurship and innovation is so important. But also, that means we do things like give grants to small businesses as opposed to tax breaks to big ones. You know, giving grants to small businesses still fits into the definition of what is capitalism, but is much healthier. And honestly, I think that like people who. I don't know, I I think that we can get really caught up on terminology like, well, is it capitalist? Like, is it socialist? And then, because people take those two terms Mm -hmm. and we can ascribe so much value to them. And for me, it's, well, let's stop and say like, how are we gonna take care of people and create a healthy system for people to participate in? So how do we bring a form of antitrust legislation over here and, and make sure that big companies aren't operating a form of, well, I'm gonna say capitalism now, but surveillance capitalism, where they're monetizing people's data without their consent. How do we remove big players that are gutting the American people with
0: ridiculous pharmaceutical prices? I but mean, like the cost of insulin, right? Has just like uh, people are dying, right? I mean, insulin I insulin that. has
1: gone up. The cost of EpiPens have gone up two to three x, I believe. But it's it's just kind of you know that that kind of stuff running rampant. That's that's not what was intended for our system. And so I'm I'm really interested. How did it
0: get this way then? So the issue. <laughs>
1: if you want to get into it, like let's talk about big pharma, for example. So most drugs that are researched here in the United States are funded with tax dollars. So either the research is done, um, you know, through a federal facility, but most of the time it's it's done through grants. And so something like PrEP, like our tax dollars funded the development of PrEP. Um, I don't mean to steal Alexandria's uh, fire here because she was talking about this a lot, but it makes me really angry. But the taxpayers fund it, and that patent's actually owned by the U.S. government, right? But... A private company is able to use that to sell ridiculously overpriced drugs to people again, disproportionately affecting people who are low income and people of color. It's it's a completely broken system.
0: It just it's just mind boggling to me that um, they can they can increase the price of these drugs by like five thousand percent. Like how I, It's just how did it, can, can, don't we shouldn't we like pass laws or something to pr, like to stop that from happening to like because people are dying no one seems to care like all these big pharma company pharma bro whatever his name is i forgot his name i just know him as pharma bro like he just smiles when he's asked a question like people are dying you're okay with doing this he just like laughs and and it, it that should be criminal i feel like it should be criminal
1: well that that's a big discussion right now is when when CEOs of companies make decisions that negatively impact people's lives, they should be,
0: they should be tried as criminals for criminal activity. Yes. Or at least fucking negligence or something. I don't know. Like it it just, it just doesn't seem right to me that, that, that they are allowed to increase the prices of drugs like that drastically. Um, But it just goes again to corporate greed and like the, the, you know this greed that's taking over our country right now and and infiltrating into our politics and you know and and change like just making our democracy a like a government like just you're not we're not a functioning democracy actually no
1: so like this is the perfect example so an Mm -hmm. epipen in 2007 the cost for a set of two auto injectors was 94 dollars and Today, which um, actually I believe the article I'm referencing isn't exactly today, so the price could be higher.
0: The cost is over seven hundred dollars. Oh, wow. I mean, I, going through my own like medical stuff, like I've I've gone through a lot of um, a lot of, I've go- I went through an injury last year, and I have um, polycystic ovary syndrome, so I constantly like, you know, need medications and um, you know, navigating the health insurance. Was so frustrating. I I I think I think for somebody who isn't educated, like I'm an educated person, and even I had so much trouble, and I have health insurance, and I have like at least some money. Like I'm not, I'm not like, (laughs) you know, I'm not like like swimming in the money. I've just I'm, but I'm I do okay enough where I have like a rainy day fund, right, and even even with that even with health care even with education even with like a a small cushion you know of money to to help me out it was still so frustrating like i i just felt like every turn was you know health insurance companies or health providers trying to slap me with some huge medical bill and it like this just this can't be how this can't be it Right? We have to do better. Like, if someone like like me who is educated and who does have, like, financial support, uh, if it was that difficult for me, like, I mean, I can't even imagine how someone who is poor, working class, working in, like like, manual labor or, like, doing, like, physical work, and if they were to get injured, like, that's their entire livelihood gone right there. Like, they... You know it just it it it, it doesn't work it just doesn't work right now and we need something different and you know that goes back to why we need to participate and vote for people like yourself that will do something about this like once and for all because i'm tired i'm tired i think a lot of people are too i think a lot of people are just feel tired because they see that nothing is getting done and you know, we need, we need to step it up, right? We need to step yeah. it up. We good could do better than this.
1: Good is not good enough anymore. When yeah. we're talking about saving people's lives and saving our world, mm-hmm. we need people who wake up every day with a heat fire burning in their stomach and passion to get something done
0: yeah I mean it's that new that new Netflix documentary just came out, out I watched right. that Burn down the house I'm not gonna lie knock
1: on the house I'm not, I'm not gonna lie I've actually seen it probably double digits now <laughs> <laughs> I, I rotated through a bunch of viewing parties <laughs> actually you know like when, whenever um, I have um, you know one of the things that candidates, haven't spoke about as often in that documentary really highlighted, which I think is important is what it actually looks like to run and the toll that takes. And I mean, oh, even, yeah. even Oof. this, er- even this early in the campaign, there's, there's sacrifices you make because you know that people's voices need to be heard. You know, it's, it's not about, it's not about you. It's about the people who need someone to highlight their voices and that makes the sacrifices worth it. But, you know, like I had a rough night earlier this week and I sat down and I watched it. I think that's when I hit double digits was on Tuesday night. Um, I, after I came back from the protest, I, I did a bunch of campaign work and <laughs> at 2 a.m. At 2 a.m. I watched Knock on the House.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, that was that was so powerful to me. I, th- I was definitely tearing up at the end. Like, just seeing, like, how hard these women worked, you know, and, and what I, what really stuck with me was when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said, like, a hundred of us will fail before one of us can get in. And, and I mean, that really stuck with me because, yeah, I mean, it's going to, it takes a, a, not more than just a movement. Like, I think it takes, like like, a monumental, like, <laughs> coming together, you know, like, it it's it's going to take so much out of everyone in, in order to make this happen in order to m- make change and that's why i think we need to band together more than ever you know we need to work together and we need to we need to fight together because it it just it it, it put it into perspective for me like how hard it is to change the system it's it was built this way on purpose it was built so that it wouldn't be easy
1: talking about coming together gonna throw in a plug uh Mm. we our our volunteer team is growing very quickly which we are super excited about but if you want to get involved with the campaign in any way whether it's phone banking or knocking on doors if you have you know if, if you've girded your loins and have an iron stomach um to knock on doors or if you want to help with one of our events, or frankly, if you just want to talk to me. So our website is just amandafrankel.com, F-R-A-N-K-E-L. And there's a volunteer form and a donation form if you feel so inclined. But most importantly, there's a form called Ask Amanda Anything. And some people recently have actually asked me, like, hey, like, where does that form go? Like, that form goes to my inbox. So that Ask Amanda Anything form isn't going to some campaign netherverse where nobody's going to respond to you. Like, those emails go to me. And I reply to them personally because I think that the reason we're here and the reason we're doing this is so people's voices are heard. So if you want to get in touch, like that hits my inbox or I live in Kensington and I walk my dog all the time. So <laughs> you can just see me with a little gremlin that looks like a house elf and you'll know
0: you found me. Um, so, you know, like let's ra- let's like end it with um, what? You know, uh, let's ask, like, why should people vote for you? What, what makes you different what makes you better than those other candidates that you named earlier what what changes do you think you can do um as congresswoman in new york's 10 district can i use a
1: star wars metaphor or oh, sure. Lord of the rings metaphor yeah go <laughs> no, ahead um, please too, no. please. so, so I, I mean look like the reason i'm running is because i just I got too angry not to do anything anymore you know living out in Kensington the Brooklyn side of the district is very different from a socio-economic perspective than the Manhattan side of the district and both have really big needs to be addressed but sometimes different needs and I've lived in the Brooklyn side and I've worked on the Manhattan side and My partner actually lives on the Upper West Side, so I traverse the whole district multiple times a week. Oh, yeah. Dobby and I also hang out at Central Park West, too, during off-leash hours before 9 a.m., if you want to find me (laughs) with my little gremlin. But I I think it's really important that we find people we identify with and who live with our struggles. You know, not people who live in multi-million dollar apartments or people who have been in office for so long that, while having a great progressive agenda, they might not be in touch with what everyday people want anymore. You know, our district is majority women. It's majority people under 45 and that's significant. And everyone needs to feel like they're being listened to equally. And honestly, like at the end of the day, like I'm not running for me. I'm running. So people who are just as pissed off as I am, or who woke up one day frustrated or who, are sick of the F train not running because come on, guys, it needs to be better. Or on Upper West, the A, C and the B trains. Like, the B doesn't even run on weekends. It's just a commuter train. And it's still delayed during the week. And there's serious educational discrepancies across the districts. You know, people who are dealing with these problems that affect their everyday lives need to know that there's someone who's bringing solutions for their everyday lives. Let's talk about the, the NYCHA development in Chelsea that's potentially being privatized. Like, I I want to fight to make sure that does not happen. And right now, I do not believe that Representative Nadler has expressed support for keeping the houses under NYCHA control. That's significant. So while having power in Washington matters on a national screen, you need somebody who's going to fight for the things that actually impact every moment of every day. And that's what I'm trying to do.
0: Thank you so much, Amanda, for being here. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I'm sure we're gonna continue working together. Oh yeah, that's always future. nice to talk.
1: I just realized I said I was gonna use a dork metaphor oh, yeah. and then I didn't. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I feel like throwing the ring into the uh, the, the pit, the pits <laughs> of fire, Mordor might not
0: might not be the best metaphor,
1: but um, I mean, kind
0: of because you know like like what we're like what you said earlier right like we're burning we're burning things down like we're not just throwing a temper tantrum here like the things are things are firing up right and and i think um i think i think that's where we need to keep heading towards i think we need to stay fired up i think we need to um keep that motivation going keep that energy going Uh, of course you know gotta take breaks self-care is very important um but I, I like the fire that, that has, it has been started. And I think if more people like yourself um, were to run and get involved and try to you know make a difference and, and change what, what's going on right now and change this broken system, I think, I think that's what we absolutely need. So let's burn it down. I think sometimes you gotta burn things down to rebuild it back up, right? I I mean, look, our democracy is broken. Yeah.
1: So let's fix it.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Amanda, for being here. Thanks, it was great being here. And thank you, everyone, for joining us at Activist NYC, the podcast. Your support is much appreciated. Activist NYC, the podcast, is presented in partnership with Listening Party, the creators of Family FM. Follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. Be sure to follow Activist NYC on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr at ActivistNYC. NYC. Tune in next time.